Welcome to From the View Box with Hal and Chris. This is the podcast of the UMass Medical School Department of Radiology. My name is Hal Lowe from the Division of Emergency Radiology. And I am Christopher Cernelia from Musculoskeletal Imaging. Welcome. Today's guest is my co-host, Hal Lowe. Hal will be speaking to us on iodinated contrast. So Hal, why don't you um, give us an idea about the general types of iodinated intravascular contrast? Sure, Chris. Um, so there are several ways to categorize uh, iodinated intravascular contrast media. Um, the most basic dichotomy is ionic versus non-ionic types of contrast. For our purposes, uh, it's important to know that ionic types of contrast were the original intravascular uh, ionated contrast, and we typically don't use these types anymore. Uh, the compounds in, in these types of contrast uh, consisted of a cation and an anion, as the name implies. Uh, but these were uh, essentially very high osmolality uh, type uh, agents, four times the osmolality, let's say, of blood plasma. So for the um, modern practice of radiology and other imaging specialties, non-ionic types of contrast are used. So within the class of non-ionic uh, contrast agents, there are high, low, and iso-osmolarity uh, agents. And those correspond with uh, the osmolality of the agent compared to blood plasma. So the higher uh, the os osmolarity agent, uh, the more concentrated and the more, more osmolar compared to plasma. Um, generally speaking, in most modern radiology practices, we use low uh, osmolarity agents, and common trade names would include IsoView and OmniPake, um, and, as well as several others. <clears throat> there is actually only one um, iso-osmolar -osm agent that's that is approved by the FDA in the United States, and that's Visipake. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, that agent is uh, um, reserved for intraarterial applications and other special cases where we need an isoosmolar agent. So with the uh, low osmolality contrast agents, we, we have a decrease in um, the likelihood to have an adverse reaction. But um, even with that, there are situations where we encounter a patient having an adverse reaction. Could you maybe uh, give our listeners uh, an idea of the different types of uh, adverse uh, contrast reactions, particularly the acute uh, type of contrast reaction? Sure. Um, basically, there are uh, two subtypes of contrast uh, reactions. Um, the first is called physiologic, uh, and the second is called allergic type. So to let's tackle the first one first. Physiologic uh, types of contrast reaction uh, refer uh, essentially to the fact that we have a, a foreign chemical within the bloodstream that uh, our bodies are not used to having. So because of that, some people, after receiving iodinated intravenous contrast, e even uh, low osmolar uh, uh, types, will may develop a reaction uh, which manifests as sometimes as nausea or vomiting could be also flushing uh, a sensation of being warm having a headache um, being anxious um, as well as 
uh, it is often reported in these types of cases to have either lightheadedness or sort of a vagal vagal vasal vagal uh, type of feeling. Uh, it, it is important to know that physiologic types of contrast reaction are dose dependent. In other words, um, the higher volume of contrast agent a patient receives, the more likely they are to have a physiologic type of reaction. This is in contradistinction to an allergic type of iodinated contrast reaction, which is dose independent. Okay? It doesn't matter uh, how much volume generally you get of the agent. Um, if, a, um, if a patient is going to have an allergic type of reaction, they will have an allergic reaction no matter the, the volume. Um, the mechanism of the allergic type of reaction is, is really unclear. These reactions uh, manifest as most commonly uh, as uh, um, hives, uh, itchiness, uh, edema, um, an itchy or scratchy throat, and, and uh, maybe uh, nasal congestion. These are the types of symptoms that you may commonly find with somebody with seasonal allergies or asthma, uh, which is why we term these types of reactions as allergic type. Now, having said that, the mechanism of these ionated allergic type reactions is not quite clear. Uh, it is thought that these are not IgE mediated, like you know seasonal allergies, uh, and so therefore, that there is no sensitization effect. Um, and again, these types of allergic type reactions can occur, can occur at any time uh, and at any volume of contrast administration. So let me um, just piggyback on what you said. Um, you mentioned the two um, types of uh, reactions, the physiologic type and allergic type. Why is it important for the, you know, the resident or the radiologist to, to discern one from the other? What would be some implications there? Uh, well, it, it is important to note that the vast majority of contrast reactions uh, are mild physiologic type. And the physiologic type of reaction, uh, almost in all cases, will be self-resolving and, and, and require no uh, specific medical treatment. The allergic type of reaction is more likely to be moderate or severe and is more likely to require medical treatment with medications and, and other management. In addition, it is important to note that uh, really the allergic type of reaction uh, is, are the, are the, is the type that uh, we really need to document in the medical record because that, these types we require uh, pre-medication in the future if the patient uh, will receive iodinated contrast. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. That's great, How So I guess to summarize for the audience, um, classifications of these acute reactions um, could be broken into either a physiologic type or an allergic type. And then the degree of severity would be the be mild, moderate, or severe. All right, so maybe we can put some of this into practice and work through some clinical cases for our audience. Um, how's that sound? Sounds great. All right, so let's, let's look at a, a case here. So this will be our first case. Um, um, you have a patient on the table and, you know, within five minutes of the injection of a CT contrast study, the patient reports some nausea, um, has some headache, has a warm, you know, flushing feeling, and maybe tells the technologist um, she feels somewhat lightheaded um, after, the, after the injection. And the technologist comes to you and wants you to evaluate the patient. Can you uh, walk us through that? 
Sure, of course. So um, of all types of um, sort of adverse reactions in the CT scanner, this is probably no, the most common scenario. Uh, and I would uh, assess the situation in, in a similar fashion in any scenario. So that includes, first and foremost, um, going to the scanner. Uh, on the way to the scanner, you probably would want to talk to the, either the CT technologist and or uh, the nurse uh, to assess the patient's past medical history, if there is any. Uh, and then also um, to ask for a set of viral signs, which will be critical for any of these cases. So that includes at least uh, blood pressure, heart rate, and uh, oxygen saturation, if we can get one. Um, then when you uh, see the patient, you want to do a quick but thorough uh, history and a quick physical. Ask the patient what's going on, uh, how the patient is feeling, and then do a quick physical exam of uh, any abnormal signs or symptoms that the patient is having. So in this case, um, what we've described is a, essentially a mild uh, physiologic type of adverse contrast reaction with the um, uh, warm feeling, flushed, na nausea, uh, and then mild lightheadedness. Uh, these are common for physiologic adverse uh, reaction of the mild type. These happen in approximately 1% uh, of patients who receive CT scans with intravenous contrast. Um, it is important to know that in these types of cases, the vital signs are typically normal or near normal, um, and that uh, any uh, outward um, signs like uh, erythema or, uh, are, are, are mild. And what I would recommend for these types of cases is observation of the patient for 30 minutes uh, in the radiology suite to make sure that this type of mild reaction does not progress to a moderate or severe type. Uh, and typically speaking, these reactions are self-limited and do not require any medical uh, treatment, no medications. Uh, but you do have to make sure and watch the patient. That's great. Uh, so I think all of us, uh, if we practice long enough, have certainly have encountered uh, one of these type of reactions. Uh, I think I piggyback on that also is you know giving the patient some assurance that you know it's not uncommon and and um, you know I think um, dealing with their anxiety as well um, and like you mentioned certainly. Uh, monitoring the patient because you know initially something may appear mild or may even initially may just be nausea and vomiting and we think it's physiologic but that could also be um, you know a, a reaction uh, an allergic type reaction so it's important to to be monitoring the patient so that's great um, how about we try another case great all right great um, so uh, this time you have a, a patient uh, you're in the emergency room um, CT study of a patient and immediately after the injection um, the patient reports to the technologist that um, they're having some some itchiness or um, erythema um, some some hives uh, on their skin um, the CT scan is stopped and uh, the technologist notes that the patient uh, is beginning to wheeze um, and having some difficulty breathing um, what do you want to do great so uh, so this case uh, sounds uh, from the start a, a little bit, a little bit more concerning, and but I would um, approach the case in a similar fashion as the first one. In other words, immediately go to the scanner while you're on the way, uh, get some clarification from the technologist and/or nurse about the patient's medical history, whether it's complicated or no medical history, uh, and then 
look closely at the vital signs. So yeah, so let me interrupt. So you you get actually get that's great. You get some vital signs, and you notice the patient is a little bit um, hypotensive. Yeah. So that is, of course, more concerning, especially if the patient doesn't have a history of hypotension uh, in the, his or her medical chart. Um, and uh, based on that and other vital signs and what the patient's initial conditions are, I would highly consider either calling a medical code in the hospital or calling 911. But I will hold off for a minute uh, before doing that. And the in order to examine the patient and interview the patient. So one thing I think is extremely helpful in these cases is when you first approach the patient, uh, you need to assess what the patient's clinical uh, situation is. Are they speaking to you in a normal fashion? Uh, in a, are they able to articulate the words? Why is that important? So one of the most concerning uh, signs of an impending severe allergic reaction is laryngeal edema or any other uh, airway or respiratory symptoms. And those tend to be extremely hard to, uh, uh, to manage, especially if you're by yourself in a, in a radiology suite. So if you do get the sense that patient, the patient is not able to speak uh, appropriately in a normal fashion or that the wheezing is, is severe, and the patient can tell you that he's, they've never had this type of wheezing uh, or bronchospasm before, before, you need to call a code. Uh, and you should call a code or call 911 if you're in an outpatient setting, uh, um, and you should not delay that. Okay, so having said that, um, after you do a, a, an assessment of the patient, you really would target your management and your, uh, your medical treatment based on what exact symptoms the patient has. So for instance, if the patient is having severe hives, uh, skin, uh, discoloration or, or, or uh, skin symptoms, then the appropriate treatment would be a Benadryl, uh, 25 to 50 milligrams, uh, IV if you have it. Um, if the patient is having uh, severe uh, swelling, erythema, or like we said, laryngeal edema or airway symptoms, then I would give uh, oxygen via a face mask, and then I would give uh, epinephrine, either intramuscular such as an EpiPen um, or uh, epinephrine IV. Uh, the doses are different. For the uh, intramuscular, it's 0 0.3 milligrams. You can give up to three doses. For the IV, uh, you should infuse the IP, IV epinephrine with the uh, IV fluids that you hopefully will be giving. That would be a liter of normal saline or uh, uh, lactated ringers uh, for a max of a milligram of epinephrine. If the symptoms are more bronchospasm, um, again, oxygen by face mask, an albuterol, um, two puffs, which can be repeated three times. And then also you can use uh, epinephrine, uh, intramuscular, or IV. In cases where you see that the blood pressure is low, less, the systolic pressure less than uh, 90, um, uh, the treatment for the hypotension in this case would be elevating the legs in Trendelenburg uh, position, giving giving IV, uh, sorry, giving uh, uh, oxygen by face mask, and then a liter of IV fluids. Now, if you um, get uh, even better or more accurate vital signs, and you see that there's hypotension, persistent hypotension, and the patient is bradycardic, 
That generally means that the patient is having a severe vasovagal reaction. And the treatment for that is, again, IV fluids, an atropine, one milligram IV with the uh, IV fluids up to three milligrams. Alternatively, if, the if there is per uh, persistent hypotension and tachycardia, then you're looking more at a allergic type reaction causing the hypotension. And the treatment for allergic hypotension is epinephrine, uh, either intramuscular or uh, intravenous. Then finally, in the worst case scenario, most severe scenario, if the patient becomes uh, unresponsive and pulseless, loses the pulse, then hopefully you've already called 911 uh, or a code, uh, but then you need to initiate CPR and ACLS with epinephrine if, if you're in the hospital situation. That's, that's great, Hal. I think, um, I think you highlighted a few important points, and that's, you know, bef as you know, you'll most likely be brought into a scenario like this from the technologist or, or nurse um, at the imaging center or in the ER or wherever you're working. Uh, first thing is to really get a, you know, a clear picture of how the patient is, um, you know, oftentimes taking a look and seeing, um, you know, see their status, how they're seated, um, you know, like you said, saying hello and, and listening to how they're, you're speaking, you can get an idea for their upper airway and then, you know, auscultating and listening, um, you can get an idea of their bronchospasm and lower airway, um, situation. And obviously vitals are very important, you know, make sure we start off with our ABCs and, and work through, um, our vitals and, and make sure those are continuously monitored, right? Cause things can change. What starts off with appears to be a mild reaction with maybe a few hives could certainly escalate quickly. So, um, so that was great. And I think the other thing, like you mentioned, is uh, when you get to this situation of uh, a moderate severe reaction or a situation where it's not falling into a typical mild um, reaction to either call a rapid response or, or code in the hospital or, or 911 to get, um, to get the appropriate help. And that concludes part one of this two-part series on iodinated intravascular contrast media and acute adverse reactions. Please join us for part two when Dr. Lowe discusses additional case scenarios regarding intravenous contrast. We look forward to having you back. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening and supporting From the Viewbox. We've attached additional reading materials to the episode notes as provided by our guest, and please visit us at www.umassmed.edu backslash radiology. Thank you to our colleagues Charlene Barron, Tom Delaney, and Dan Ramsaran for their technical assistance. See you next time.